welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, River Valley. This weekend, we're going to hear from Scott Hagen. He's president of North Central University, and he's also a friend of mine. And I asked him to preach this weekend because we're remembering 9-11 with the 20th anniversary. And he just had a new book come out, On Call Heroes, that he published with Tyndale. They asked him to do this. They said, can you just honor those people all the way back to the first responders that ran into the fire and went into the buildings 20 years ago And then honor the people that over the last year and a half have been on the front lines, those heroes, those doctors, nurses, people that ran into the trouble and didn't run away. And so I asked him to speak on that this weekend and and to be able to sell the book. So here's the idea with the book. You can buy one, give it to a doctor, a nurse, a firefighter, a police officer, anyone that was that on-call hero that you just want to bless. It's $15. You can get the book for them and sew it into their life. It's a great opportunity to say, you made a difference. We noticed, and we care, and we appreciate you. So we're going to jump into his message right now, and he's going to be speaking on this. And so I pray you'll open up your heart to the message that Scott Hagen is bringing right now. I travel pretty much three weekends a month, sometimes all four weekends I'm out preaching, most of the time in churches with multiple services like this. And I have found this to be absolutely true. If, if there's a Saturday night and two Sunday morning, I'm telling you straight up, the most spiritual people in the church come to the last service on Sunday. It's absolutely proven true, and I, I'll show you why. The Saturday night folks, we love Saturday night, but come on, man. They're checking it off the list. You know, they're just getting it through. The early service, 9 o'clock folks, I love them, uh, but they're on their way to lunch, or they have bad home technology and don't know how to tape the Vikings game. I don't know what their issue is, but you folks have been up since about 4.35 a.m. this morning praying at least two to three hours prior to coming in the auditorium. The 11 o'clock crowd, most spiritual people in America, give yourself a round of applause. I know where you're coming from. Pastor Rob is, is accurate. We have a fantastic relationship. Uh, uh, Rob is a great friend. Uh, during this last year, because we're both from Minneapolis and we travel around the nation, we pretty much found ourselves in the center of national conversations with leaders about what it's like in Minneapolis. When we went through really the tip of the spear about a year and a half ago, um, Rob was right there with me and Becca. They uh, supported the school, came to the uh, events, and uh, just were right next to us. He serves as a national ex- uh, executive press for the Assemblies of God, which makes him a board member at North Central. But I believe your pastor, we all know he's extraordinarily gifted, one of a kind in the world. Um, but I think the trait I saw in Rob Ketterling this last year was a, a level of courage um, in Rob that was pastoral but prophetic. And I think that's what I most admire in Rob Ketterling is he's a super nice, fantastic leader, but there is a fire and a steel cord of courage inside Rob Ketterling that is undeniable. You have a great pastor, great leader, very grateful to God, very grateful to God. It's a joy to be here with my bride of 39 years. Um, We've been married, and uh, we were married 
Uh, we're a few days apart in age. She's got me like by six weeks. Uh, we're both, I'm turning 59 in about a week. Then we'll both be turning 60 next year. Uh, and we'll be in our 40th year of marriage. We just celebrated 39. But my beautiful bride is here. Karen, would you stand real quick here? Third service right there. That's her. But here is my, here's my favorite photo uh, of Karen. My favorite picture of Karen is on the screen. 1966, Easter Sunday. I love the matching purse, the matching dress. I love the little page boy haircut, the, the, the barrette or whatever that thing is in her hair right there. I love the little feminine bent wrist. But it's the gleam in her eye. It's that look, it's that, that twinkle, that sparkle, that gleam in her eye. Very few things on this earth give a woman that gleam. I think that woman only gets that gleam in the eye maybe once in her lifetime. I think God blessed Karen by showing her her future way ahead of time. I think this is what Karen saw. It's a pretty energetic laugh for... 11 o'clock, after I complimented your spirituality, that's a lot. I got my twisty velvet pants on there, my little patent leather prison shoes right there. My brother's got his prison outfit on next to me right there. My dad, he worked in the timber industry, the lumber industry for Weyerhaeuser, and his job was to go into the mountains in the Northwest and cut the trees down. He had a humongous uh, chainsaw. And it was his pride and joy. It was like his Harley Davidson. I used to smell the oil of that chainsaw every night. I couldn't touch it. But my dad was very gifted with the chainsaw. He also was responsible for giving me my haircuts. And I think my dad somehow combined his love of the chainsaw and his responsibility to cut my hair. But I tell our students, I told our students at North Central, you put a pair of skinny jeans on that guy. That is a modern worship leader haircut uh, in America right now. I was way out over my ski tips with that hairdo right there. No, it's great. We end up having uh, 10 beautiful grandkids, and the Lord has blessed our family. I just want to say, too, that uh, just a big thank you uh, on behalf of the university. Uh, I found out yesterday, over the last 23 years, uh, River Valley Church, this isn't the personal giving which has been significant. This is just church giving through Apple Valley and all the campuses, but primarily this Apple Valley campus has given $1,229,700 to North Central University for, for scholarships and building programs. That is a standalone generosity toward the university. And I know... Many of your staff have come through North Central. We want to continue that powerful relationship. Many of the missionaries that you're sending around the world come out of that great institution. But whether you want to be a biologist, a biblical biologist, a scripture first scientist, a top educator, a business leader, worship leader, um, pastor, youth pastor, North Central, I think, is at the top of its game. And God has watched over this great school. And I just want to say thank you to River Valley for keeping North Central strong um, and vibrant into the future. God has been good. Can we just say thank you, Lord, for his keeping power. Amen. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles or watch on the screen, Joshua chapter 14. I want to preach this morning for a few minutes on what does a last day's first responder actually look like? I'm not just trying to be pop culture-ish and play off this weekend or the book. But I want to show you a portrait of a powerful first responder in the Old Testament that really looks like what the last days ought to be. 
I don't think this story in Joshua 14 has ever meant more to my life than it means right now. Much of what I see going on in the conversation between Caleb and Joshua and the kind of leader Joshua was, um, I am longing for that in my own life. Let's read together Joshua 14. This is a conversation between Joshua and Caleb. Now these guys are in their 80s. This story, though, is 45 years in the making. It's a conversation that started when they were 40, and now they're in their mid-80s. And they're closing escrow, literally handing the keys out to the promised land, something that Caleb has been anticipating for 45 years. And he says to Joshua, I've been waiting for this day for a long time, and here it is. No matter what my collective world around me has displayed, I have kept my heart laser focused on this. And when you keep your heart as Caleb kept his, I want to show you the powerful outcome, not just of getting what you believed for, but the kind of person you become. That's what this is all about. What does a last day's first responder in this nation. What does it look like to be fitted to our times in America right now as believers? So Joshua and Caleb are talking. He says in verse 7, Caleb states, I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. He was one of 12 spies. He's talking to Joshua, who is one of those two. When He sent us out to spy out the land, and I brought him word again that was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. You see the power of leadership. This is why I think your pastors have excelled this year. Because when you hear your leader talk, and when you and I talk, people listen. And they're wondering, what is the topic of our our conversation? How are we describing the world that is around us? It has one of two effects on people. It causes their hearts to melt like wax with fear, or it lifts their heart to new levels of faith. We're not dumb in this room. We know we are in perilous, difficult times. Leading a Christian university in downtown Minneapolis, are you kidding me? In the last year and a half? We all realize what's happening in our world not just in our city with the physical unrest, but with the madness of vain philosophy that is ripping our country apart. And yet, I see a Caleb-like moment, not just for my own calling, but also I saw it displayed in your, your pastors. When they talk about their world, which I believe is getting bigger, not smaller, I don't think opportunity is, getting, or is closing. I think it's opening to us. And that mindset of Caleb and Joshua to see the future in a way that the other 10 could not, I think that's, first of all, why your pastors are brilliant leaders. When I hear them talk about the future, it lifts my heart. It doesn't make my heart melt with fear. So the Bible says that Caleb goes, when I spoke, I spoke differently. I, t- I said all that was in my heart. They caused the heart of the people to melt. He said, and Moses then swore on that day, verse nine, surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, 
Caleb says, I'm as strong today. Um, the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I'm 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going out, for coming in. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, which are the giants, they were these eight-foot Canaanite giants. The giants were there, and they had fortified cities. Which means they weren't visiting. They were entrenched. They were embedded. This was now their land that they had conquered. It may be that the Lord will be with me, Caleb said, and I'll drive them out, as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron. He gave it to Caleb as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, there's this little throwaway line at the end of the text. People overlook this. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and then the land had rest from war. So Arba, this character that's introduced at the end of the text, he's the head giant. Literally, he's the nine-footer among the eight-footers. So the Anakim were very large, ominous, um, powerful conquerors of the land, instruments of the enemy. Their leader was Arba. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So Caleb is telling Joshua, I've been waiting 45 years for this. I literally have been looking out the window every day waiting for FedEx and UPS to deliver the package. Now he said he's 85 years of age. These aren't dog years or weird kind of Bible math. 85 is 85. This was real 85, like our 85. Here's what's fascinating. Numbers chapter 14 tells us that at the beginning of the exodus into the wilderness on their way to the promise, that there was so much negativity that the Lord said, all right, everybody over 20 is going to die out here. You have no optimism in your heart. You have the spirit of the 10 that was afraid. If you're 20 and under, you're going to live during these 40 years. Now let's just do the math. Caleb and Joshua were at least 40. That's what they say when they began their journey through the wilderness. They went those 40 years. There was a few years of settling, and now the escrow is being finalized. People were getting their territory. He said, now it's been 45 years. I'm, 80, I'm 85, which means that if you were 20, if you were the oldest person that made it through, 45 plus 20 puts you at 65 years of age. If you believe what the Bible is stating, and some scholars debate about Eliezer, did this include the women? Most scholars, however, do believe that these were the only two 80-year-olds in the entire nation and that the oldest person would have been 65. Can you imagine an entire country and nobody's in their 70s? Nobody's 70. Two 85-year-olds and then the oldest next person is 65. So Caleb and Joshua are conversing and Caleb, Caleb looks at this opportunity through the eyes of faith. And Caleb said, I want the hills and I want the giants. I want the land. I've been waiting 45 years. 
Here's the first characteristic of a last day's first responder. It's God's plan for Caleb. It's God's plan for you and I. God's plan is for you to develop with time, not deteriorate with time. The reason this matters so much, let's be honest. We're watching our world deteriorate. And there's a natural space to getting older in which you kind of accumulate. I was going back through my yearbook from Bethany Bible College, the graduating class in 1984. The valedictorian is now an atheist. I said, that person didn't make it. That person didn't make it. That person flamed out. They flamed out. They flamed out. It's not that everybody goes through a perfect, upward, uh, linear, straight life to success. We all go through valleys and trials. But I'm talking about people that are now shipwrecked in their faith. And you get to a point in life when you watch the world around you like Caleb watched his. How much can you take? How many dead bodies in the wilderness, his buddies, his friends, people that became negative and complained and lost their way or worshipped idols and they died? His whole world around him was deteriorating. You and I have to make one of the most important decisions of our life, I think, right now. No matter what happens in my life, around my life, I should say, it's not going to happen to my life. I might be the last Christian standing in my family, the last Christian standing in this office, but I'm not going to let the deterioration of the world around me take away my development of my own faith. Somebody say amen. God's plan is that we develop, not deteriorate with time. That our faith becomes stronger, not weaker. That we become more, not less. We've gone through the, kind of the socially, the fiery furnace, and I keep looking for the, when's the shelf life on this going to run out? And I'm starting to wonder, is this the cycle until the return of Christ? But I don't want my faith to mimic this chaos that's going on around me. I want to be like Caleb. I want to be looking. Now, how do you develop and not deteriorate with time? Very simple. You live in hope of the promise of God. I know it sounds very simple, simple theology. It has a powerful effect on your life. When Abraham lived in light of the promise of what God had given to him, it kept him strong, it kept him focused, it kept him humble, it kept him repentant. We have to live looking out the window, waiting for the package to arrive every day. When you read a promise in God's word about your life, a promise for your family, a promise for this church, for this nation, every single day I'm living in hope of that promise to arrive. We've got many people that can't go four or five days He went 45 years waiting for that thing to arrive. That's why he was stronger. Now, we all are going to get older, friends. Come on. I threw my back out the other day chewing ice. What? I'm just slamming down in the morning some bareback and body, beat up, sore, can barely move, stiff. What did you do? I slept. That's all I did. I slept. And I need bareback and body to get it going because I'm stiff and sore. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay? There's some natural aging, but the outer man does not dictate my life. It's the inner man that's being renewed day by day. I clothe my outer man 
with my inner man. I don't let my outer man that's decaying day by day be the person that you meet, be the person that responds to the challenge. I let the inner man that's being renewed day by day, that's the secret of Caleb. Because he looked in hope of the promise of God. When you read your Bible and God is delivering you this love letter filled with promises for your life, promises for your family, promises for the church, promises for the nation, we are all living in hope of those promises arriving. That's what keeps you vital, strong, and young because God's plan is that you develop with time, not deteriorate with time. Even though everything around you is falling in the wilderness, you're not falling in the wilderness. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Number two, the second trait of a last day's first responder is this. We need our most experienced Christians We need our most seasoned Christians to take on life's toughest assignments. Caleb said, give me the hills. Seriously, dude, you're 85. I thought when you're 85, this whole thing culminates in a fully funded life of ease. I thought it was about the chill territory, not the hill territory. I'm just going to chill. Now, I got people that I love with all my heart that live in Idaho. I'm not ripping Idaho. But this whole escapism right now in America with everybody checking out and moving to Idaho just to get away from everything, we're going to yield ground and territory. Now, there's lost people in Idaho that need on-fire Christians. I bless them. But I am watching a tendency of our most experienced, seasoned, generous prayerful, Holy Ghost-filled, wise people that know the Word of God saying, I think I'm going to choose the chill space, not the hill. I pray River Valley never chooses the chill over the hill. And he said, give me the hill with with the giants, the Anakim. They're embedded. They have fortified cities. Give me the lost cause. Give me the thing that's been conquered by the enemy. Give me the toughest assignment at this stage of my life. You say, what does that look like for me? I'm 80 years old. It could simply mean saying, I want to know, I'm going to get in a car, someone's going to drive me around to the toughest neighborhood in Minneapolis. And I'm going to drive that neighborhood until I begin to get a burden to pray every single day. Give me the name of the, the most difficult, struggling elementary school with all kinds of social statistics that would break your heart. Put the name of that school on your refrigerator and begin to be an intercessor every day. Maybe even get out of that car and walk the neighborhood that is dangerous. The reason the New Testament was so powerful is that Christians place themselves in spaces of danger for the cause of Christ, friends. I'm not saying to recklessly endanger yourself, but you know what I'm saying. We're just running to Idaho right now. We're looking for the chill, not the hill. I want to challenge you. A last day's first responder is not intimidated by the hill, and they want the spaces where the, where the eight-footers live. Where do the Anakim live? Where do the giants live? We need our most experienced Christians taking on life's toughest assignments in this day and age if we're going to see a pivot from the chaos that we're caught in. And here's the third trait and last trait of the last day's first responder. First of all, God wants you to develop with time, not deteriorate over time. 
people get to their mid-40s and they either veer off into cynicism, doubt, or they reattach themselves to their first love. I've seen this over and over again. It's not necessarily on your 45th birthday, but somewhere in there, you really choose what kind of believer you're going to be. Now, you can make that choice and you can redirect your life in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, 50s, 40s, right now, today. But understand, if you just leave this to the current of our day, one of the most powerful statements in Scripture comes from Daniel chapter 1. Daniel was a teenage boy. The entire message of God has been reduced to four teenage boys. You know the story well. Nebuchadnezzar was going to redirect his kingdom through the re-education of the handsome and the healthy of Judea. He took them 900 miles in one of the worst acts of social injustice that kidnapped a generation that lived their entire lives as captives. Daniel would spend 70 years. He goes there at 15. He begins to understand really what's going down here, that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to gently cause him and his friends to forget about God and to reorientate their thinking by introducing them to drinking and to eating of the Babylonian culture, put them at ease, and then it says for three years they were going to educate them, offering them a three-year degree in idolatry. You know the story well. They're 15 years old. The entire Bible now has been reduced. The entire Bible story for 70 years is reduced to four teenage boys. Can you imagine that? The entire God story of Scripture is about four teenage boys and what they do next. Would you put your hope in the hands of four 15-year-old boys? God did. And you know that they chose water and vegetables. Then they were examined after 10 days and they were found to be in Daniel 121 10 times better than everything Babylon, anything Babylon could produce. Putting them on the Babylonian steroids on their way to idolatry, God's way produced a 10x, a 10x leader. What's even more Powerful is in Daniel chapter 5, verse 12. It says that Daniel, when he's 85 now, was known to have a keen mind. He could explain riddles, untie the knot, bring civility between enemies. And it says at 85 he had a keen mind, but he was a 10x leader, a 10 times better leader at 15. Do the math. When Daniel became that 10x leader, this wasn't some burst of teenage Christian faith. He went on a 70-year run. A 70-year run of being a 10x leader. That's the kind of person that Caleb is in this story. Someone who over time never lost their momentum. I'm not saying we don't have down days, bad days, dry seasons. I have it. You have it. We all have it. But the fundamental loss of my faith and momentum of my faith, I can go the distance. I can go 70 years and not lose that momentum. I can develop, not deteriorate with time. I want to be that 10X leader for this generation. I want to be fitted to these times. That's why I love education, the space that I'm in. So now we get to this last trait 
God wants us to develop, not deteriorate with time. We need our most seasoned Christians taking on life's toughest assignments. And finally, we have to go conquer. Our mission is to conquer the things that have already been conquered. What do you mean, Pastor? Let's bring this message to a close this way here. Remember that little line at the end of the story? So Caleb said for 45 years, Joshua blesses him and says, man, you are strong after 45 years. You're 85 is the new 40. I'm going to give you Hebron with all of its hills and all of its giants. You're not looking for the easy space. You're looking for the tough assignment, Caleb. It's yours. The Bible says he went to Hebron. And then there's this odd little description that it was known as Kiriath Arba. What's the storyline there? Hebron was a small village that shows up in the book of Genesis. It is one of the earliest settlements in the Bible. And today you can go visit Hebron. It's there today. But there was a period of time in which it lost its name. How did it lose its name? Because the giants, the Anakim, attacked Hebron. Hebron is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried. Their wives are buried there. It's of great significance. But the giants came there one day, led by Arba, the nine-footer over the eight-footers. I don't know if he was nine foot. I'm just saying that. I'm giving him a 12, 12 extra inches because it said he was their leader. So great was his conquest that they changed the name of the town. Does that look like the United States right now? So great was the conquest of the enemy that they've changed the identity to match that demonic giant that overtook that land. Hebron lost its name, its created identity, and it was conquered by the enemy and took on the name of the conquering enemy. Caleb said, I want that space. Looks like a lost cause. When you look at the United States of America right now, and you look at our education system, and you see the madness that's going on, especially in the area of identity, and you see all of these vain philosophies, evil attempts to re-educate our young, to steal the created identity and put on them a conquered identity in which they now wear the name of the conquering enemy in all sorts of madness today. I will tell you this, leading a university in this day and age, I tell leaders all the time, over my dead body, am I going to allow heresy to enter our Christian university? Our mission is not the chill space to remove ourselves as far away from this, but literally to say, Lord, give us the hills and give us the giants. Give us the lost cause. Give us the space, especially the educational space where young people and children, that's really what River Valley is all about. We love all ages, but it's the kids, it's the teenagers, it's the generation. We have to get in that space. We cannot yield it. And our mission is to conquer that which has been conquered.
and to restore the created identity over these young people instead of the conquered identity that they currently wear. I pray River Valley is a last day's first responder for the kingdom. I pray you will develop and not deteriorate with time. I pray our most seasoned Christians in this room would say, give me the hill. Give me the giants. And I pray the mission of this great church, great local church, which has shaped this world, would say, Lord, give us, give us Kiriath Arba. We're going to restore it to Hebron. In Judges chapter 1, from that point forward, Caleb was the only one, the 85-year-old was the only one that drove out all of the enemy. And it was restored to Hebron. And you can visit that today. It would not be called Hebron today unless an 85-year-old stayed fresh, flourished, and stayed in the fight. God bless you, River Valley. Thank you for letting me come and share God's word today.